journey that's going to take a couple months to go through the book of Mark. And it sounds, it's kind of a funny thing because the book of Mark is, uh, um, we're going to be studying this through December, but when you start seeing how much stuff we look at each week, you're going to be like, golly, I mean, we, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in each chapter. And that's part of how the book is designed. And that's part of also why Pastor Kevin put together the challenge and we have our emails that go out every day because we're going to be able to talk about in, 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 in like summary form all of it. But in detail form, you're going to have to kind of look into it a little bit yourself just because there's too much stuff. And that's a good problem. That's not a bad problem. But I wanted to do a little bit of introduction before we got into it, just so you have some, uh, some background, some understanding. Um, when we say the word gospel, uh, this is well, the reason they use this title was this was kind of a word that would mean good news, which would often be sent out by like a herald or something. Somebody coming in like, hey, I have good news, you know, before they had newspapers and before they had the Internet. And, before, you know, there's like a guy that would come and like tell people stuff. And it was like that scene in Braveheart when they're all standing there and, you know, the guy runs up and he's like, oh, these other people are coming and da, 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 this kind of stuff. And uh, that kind of thing. There's a guy telling this good news. And so this wasn't a unique word to the Bible like it is to us now. Like we think, oh, that's just a Bible thing. What it means is good news. Um, that, uh, and, and this book is written down by a guy named John Mark. So this one is called The Gospel of Mark. And uh, it's the first of the Gospels to be written. It's like the earliest one. Um, it's... Uh, John Mark is a guy who was working with, he, you know, he's mentioned in several places in the Bible. He worked with Paul, he worked with, you know, Peter, and most people think that what he was doing here was writing down Peter's account of everything that happened. So Peter, the, the main, you know, kind of the main disciple of Jesus, he's, this is kind of his words, been put down by another guy, so it has the other guy's name, right? And uh, it's an interesting thing, this his book is related to Matthew and Luke, the other other two Gospels, where you see that 90% of the stuff that's in Mark is in the book of Matthew, and about half of the stuff that's in Mark appears in the book of Luke. You can look that kind of stuff up. They kind of referenced each other when they would write, so there's stuff that these people shared. These three Gospels set aside, like remember we went through John. John's a little different than all the other ones. It was written in a different way for a different purpose. These are the ones they call the synoptic Gospels. If you've never heard, the, if you have heard that word, this is what they're talking about, and it's kind of like a Synoptic means like seen together or like how you might say like uh, this is a synopsis of this movie, you know, that like kind of and, and so uh, or book, you know. So those three Gospels have a lot in common and Mark being the earliest one, uh, it was written somewhere around 64 AD, uh, you know, so this is after obviously all the things in the book that happened. But then the original audience of this was more than likely Roman Christians um, that were starting to be persecuted or experiencing persecution. So it was designed to kind of encourage them in, 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 a, in a time where they were being uh, resisted culturally. You know, so it's a reminder. And it's written in a very fast pace. You'll see, like, as we go through this today, it's like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. You see the word suddenly appear a lot and immediately as you read through it, or just then. You know, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. And uh, it doesn't give as much detail. Like, it's shorter than, you know, the stuff that you'll... So as we go through some of these stories... You might go, gosh, I feel like there was more to that. And you're like, what you're thinking of is some of the other Gospels, you know, tell these different accounts with much more detail. Mark's just kind of like, do, 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 you know. So we may, as we go through, reference some of the other Gospels for some of those details. But also we want to kind of, like, remember we went through the book of Exodus. You want to take it as it is also. You know, it's packaged in such a way for a purpose, you know. And so it has an effect which you don't want to dilute too much, but it, sometimes you've got to kind of fill in some of the holes. 
And actually, we'll get even to this, which we'll explain a little bit. The, the, the book originally kind of had a cliffhanger ending, which was on purpose as well. But we'll get to that. First thing we're going to do is I have two youth that are going to come up here, right? Or one youth, readers, come. We're not going to probably do this every week, but we're going to read through this uh, chapter. We're going to do Mark chapter 1. We're going to read this today. And well, are they going to read it? Who's coming? Come on up. Come, come, come. Youth readers. John the Baptist prepares the way. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, too as, writ- too as it is written in the Isaiah of Prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism and representance for, I just lost my place, for oh, the forgiveness of sins, the whole Judean countryside and the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair a leather belt around his waist, and he ate a locust and a wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of those whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with the water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At the time, (laughs) Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. You will, with you I am pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals and angels attended him. Jesus announces the good news. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and hired men and followed him. (laughs) They went to Capernaum, and when when Zabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an immature spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all were so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He's even given orders to impure students, spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole 
region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about Andrew. Simon's, oh my gosh, about her. And so he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. The evening after the sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. Jesus held, healed some. Jesus healed many people who have various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he did not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off for and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, "Everyone is looking for you." Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there And also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out the demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged to him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indigent, indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show your, show yourself to your priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter the town openly, but stayed outside in the lonely in lonely places, yet the people still came to see him from everywhere. Awesome. Thanks for reading. That was a lot to read. You can see what I'm saying. There's a lot in these chapters, and so we're going to talk about just a few things. Have you ever had something happen in your life where, like, it changed your world, you know, where there was, I thought of a dumb example, um, because there's, like, significant examples, like maybe you got married or had a kid or something like that, but... The one I thought might help for application, have you ever had like a situation like this where you're getting home from work, you've been in the cars with traffic, da 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 all this kind of thing, and then you get home and find out from your spouse, like, hey, I need you to go to the store or go to Walmart to pick this thing up, and you're like, that sounds like the worst thing in the, impo- in the entire world that I have to do, and especially this Walmart parking lot up here was particularly difficult, and so... You drive back to Walmart, and it's just horrible the whole time, right? Now, fast forward like three months, and now you have a new car. And that exact same situation happens. You're like, oh, of course. You, know, you might even be like, hey, you need anything at the store? Because, you know, and the whole drive there is this awesome time. It's so great. You know, but it's the same traffic. It's the same place. It's the same. Nothing's changed, but something's changed. You got that new car, right? You know, And that's the kind of thing I want you to start to experience as we go through this. It's not that nothing changed. Something changed. And it's not that just something changed in you. You have a new car. That's a different thing. But in another sense, the world's kind of the same place. Just the way you're interacting with it now is completely different. And you're going to start to see this sort of thing happening. And uh, that's, <laughs> I know it's kind of a silly example, but it's exactly where I want your mind to be. You're like, what's different now? Oftentimes you know what's different now, but uh, it's how does that affect everything? You know, and I don't have simple answers for that because we're going to get into a whole lot of detail. It made me think of this quote 
which uh, appropriately is from Anthony Bourdain, which is this, the journey changes you. And I don't want you to get too hung up into the you part. They're like, oh, it's just me singing things differently now. You know, it's something about how that new car that you have, suddenly the traffic doesn't bother you so much. The traffic didn't change. And you really didn't change. But that new car, that new vehicle changes the whole thing. Okay? And we're going to see in this, there's a whole lot of stuff. This, just this one chapter is really a journey. It's like boom, 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 boom. You see the headings just from my Bible. They're probably in yours. John the Baptist prepares the way. The baptism and testing of Jesus. Jesus calls his first disciples. Jesus drives out an impure spirit. Jesus heals many. Jesus prepare, prays in a solitary pray, place. And Jesus heals a man with leprosy. That's the whole thing that happens this week. And what hap- I, want you, um, I just want you to experience this change. I'll come back to this. The very first verse, this, in the beginning, the, the, this is the, it's like an announce, it's a title. Remember the herald coming. The beginning of the good news or gospel about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So like this gospel, um, you go, well, let's just make sure we're clear on this. What is this? You know, what is this gospel? Well, Paul gives us a good summary, which we've talked about before in 1 Corinthians 15. So I'm going to read that really quick. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, right? Which you received and on which you have take, taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. Hello, Christian people. This is us. If you hold... If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. That's bad. So what, is, what did you preach? For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Paul, or to Peter, and the twelve, and then he says he appeared to some other people. So this idea that Jesus died according to the scriptures, he was buried, and he was raised according to the scriptures. This is the gospel in the most summarized form. But what's interesting about this is that line, according to the scriptures. It's not just like, yeah, this thing happened and it changed your life or it changed the world. You know, it, this thing did happen that changed the world, but it's also according to something. It's in line with something. And all that we've been doing this year, looking at Elijah and Elisha, the book of Exodus, even the book of how Ephesians fits into this, but more specifically these Old Testament books, he's tying this into that. that what Jesus did is the seminal uh, event of human history and all, but it is understood and makes sense according to the scriptures. Otherwise, you know, how, what, what does this mean? What is it, you know, and so he's giving, it, giving us that. And that's how this story, going back now to Mark, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, it starts with John the Baptist, right? And John the Baptist is in the wilderness, and he's... Uh, He's baptizing people, and he's preparing the way. And uh, John, this was expected. John was coming in the spirit of Elijah, which we just talked about, you know, with Elijah and Elisha. And there were prophecies in the Old Testament, according to the scriptures, remember? Isaiah 40, the voice calling one in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the desert a highway for our God. And this is what um, Mark wants to make sure that we know that John is doing. He's making way for Jesus. Or in Malachi 3, 1 to 2, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to, come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you, des- whom, whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So this is what John the Baptist is doing. And Mark wants to make sure that we know that. But here's the thing. He's in the wilderness. 
He's not in Jerusalem. He's in the wilderness. And wilderness doesn't just mean like the woods out here. It means like a desolate place. Like there's nothing really there much. There's no life. There's nothing that can sustain things. This is a wilderness, you know. And that term shows up in the Bible a couple places. You might remember Moses was in the wilderness when he sees God in a burning bush. And in the same place, you know, God makes his covenant with the people on Sinai in the wilderness. And then God is with his people in the wilderness at the end of the book of Exodus. So a thing to keep in mind, it might be very encouraging to you, because you might feel like you're in the wilderness right now with your life. This is actually good news, because in the wilderness is often where you meet God. I'm not going to say 100% of the time, but it's a biblical theme that in the wilderness you meet God, right? And Jesus comes, because John is baptizing people. And Jesus comes to be baptized, and he's baptized by John. And this is an interesting thing uh, that Jesus, they have exchanges in the other Gospels where, where John doesn't want to do it because like, it doesn't feel worthy. And, you know, and Jesus says, you know, he insists. But then Jesus is baptized by John, and then the Holy Spirit comes and descends. God's Spirit descends on him like a dove. And there's a lot of imagery there about the dove represents, you know, you see a dove in the, in the Noah story that coming back saying like, hey, there's actually land out there. You know, there's a twig. Or this language that describes the dove fluttering around is actually even reminiscent of Genesis, where it talks about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters of chaos that are, you know, before creation. You know, so all of this is important, and they would expect everybody to get this. That this, is, this guy, this Jesus guy, is God. And God's saying, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, is meaning more than like, <laughs> he's saying, this is me, you know, and, and this is a big deal announcing at the very beginning that, and it's probably not news to you, I'm assuming that since you're in church, you're like, yeah, I know Jesus is God and everything, but everybody else didn't, okay, it was, it was news then. And so then Jesus is filled, he's baptized and he's filled with the Spirit of God, God is pleased with him, and he lives this incredibly healthy and wealthy life has no struggles of any kind. And that's what life with God is like, right? That's what we expect, though, isn't it? I mean, like, you know, well, I mean, I, I'm serving God. Why are these bad things happening to me? I mean, let's be honest. It's, that's kind of where we live a lot of the time. Jesus immediately, if you look at this, uh, if you look at the verse, I'm going to scroll back up on my thing here. Um, so this amazing thing happens where the spirit, this Elijah that God's been saying in the Old Testament is one day going to come and prepare the way for the guy who's going to save the world. That's happening right now. And then the guy's here. Jesus is here. And his spirit, God's spirit is filling him. And this amazing thing that you're like, oh, my gosh, this is great. What happens next? At that time, Jesus, or hold on, at once, right? So it's like, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. You're like, oh, my gosh. And there's, oh. At once, at once, the Spirit sent him into the, out into the wilderness. You're like, what? So that's what happens. I baptized. I was in the wilderness already. I came out in the wilderness to find God. Right? Now you're leading me back into the great place where I'm healthy and wealthy and all that good stuff, right? And all the fun things happen. And there's no more struggle, right? I know Jesus now, right? Immediately, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. So here's the thing, guys. We're not baptized from everything. 
or baptized too. Engage. He's, he's engaging in battle with Satan. That's a bit intense, okay? And if you look at some of the other Gospels, you see some of those details about it. Satan comes up quoting Scripture at him, as he's you know, known to do. Doesn't it say this? And the serpent in Genesis says that to, did God really say? There's all this kind of, you know, and he has to deal with that. And he does, and he wins, but this is not like a, a walk in the park. And it's a good thing to pick up on that because why would we expect our lives to be anything different? And then it, then it goes to a series of events. And if you remember, we just went through Elijah and Elisha. There was a, two times where we just kind of had boom, 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 where they did a whole lot of stuff. You remember? And they're like, and they, they healed this person, and then they brought in the oil, and da, 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 you know. And this was written in such a way that it was supposed to remind you of that. It's easy for us because we just looked through it. But Jesus has this handful of things that he does right after boom, boom, boom. Jesus calls his first disciples. He goes down, hey, guys, come follow me. And they're like, okay. You know, and again, not a whole lot of detail on this one. Just come follow me. Okay. And then Jesus drives out an impure spirit. An evil spirit is in a guy. And the evil spirit knows who Jesus is. When everybody else is still figuring it out. But a, a demonic spirit knows who he is. Like, oh, no, this is not good for him. You know, it's good for everybody else, you know. And that evil spirit is in a guy in the synagogue, which would be kind of like the church. So the first time Jesus drives a demon out of somebody is not in the wilderness. It's in a church or, you know, the synagogue. It's kind of an interesting side note just to think about. But Jesus does drive him out because he, does know who, he knows who Jesus is, and it's not time to be telling all this exactly yet. Jesus, and then Jesus heals a bunch of people. Like the title I have is Jesus Heals Many. He heals Simon's mother-in-law, and then everybody else is like, hey, this guy's healing people, and he starts healing everyone. And then Jesus, because everybody wants, you know, there's like a crowd now building up, Jesus goes off by himself to pray, and then they're like, hey, you know, everybody's looking for you. He's like, we need to go tell some other people what's going on because that's what I came here to do. And as when they're on the way, they encounter a guy with leprosy, and Jesus is really bothered at this guy's suffering, and he heals him. So we have this really quick announcement, like, that's what this chapter one is about. We're in a dark place, a wilderness place. A wilderness place says, we know that God's promised some things. One day, the Savior's coming, but he's not here yet. And we're in the wilderness. And then in the wilderness of the wilderness, there's a guy saying, hey, you know what? He's coming. Repent and believe and get baptized. And you go, okay. And then all of a sudden this is happening. And immediately Jesus hits the ground running. He's healing people. He's calling disciples. And he's establishing um, what he's going to be doing for the rest of this, uh, this book as we go through it. So what does this story tell me about God? I think it reminds us that God is faithful and that God moves in his timing. People have been waiting for this to happen. And if you really look into this and study this, it's not in the Bible, but it's in other historical books. People knew there was going to be a Savior. They knew there was going to be a Messiah. According to the Scriptures, they knew this. And even when you see it in some of the other Gospels, when it talks about Jesus being born, like, they asked, like, where's the, where is he supposed to be born? And they're like, well, Bethlehem, and we know that. You know? So, like, people knew stuff, and they knew that there was going to be somebody coming, and they had in, in their minds ideas of how that would work out. And there were people who claimed to be this. You can sometimes forget, this happened in like the real world, like the world we live in right now. There was a man named Jesus walking around, and he was saying, you know all that stuff that God promised, I'm fulfilling all of that stuff. And other people had claimed that as well. They were wrong, 
But this wasn't a totally unique event for people to encounter. They're like, maybe this is the guy. That's why sometimes the disciples are trying to figure this out, and other people are trying to figure it out too. It's not because, you know, we would go, oh, I would have gotten it if I had been there. You might not have, or it might have taken you a minute, you know, just like these guys are, because they're real people too. They're trying to figure out, what does this tell me about God? What is it like? Well, God, God promised he was going to do something. And he said, in a lot of ways, how he was going to do it. And now he's doing it. It tells us that God does things on his own time. It tells us that the biggest thing I think that I see in this is that we had screwed things up in the world. And God didn't just leave us there. He came for us. He didn't just, you know, say, well, you deserve what you get. He's like, no, I'm going to come and fix this. And not just fix I'm going to fix everything. I'm going to fix it. And in that, you can see, like, we need somebody to fix it. You can't fix your life. You can't fix the world. Most of us would know we can't fix the world. But you can't even fix your own life. You need a Savior. God knows that. So he's like, I'm going to come save you. You know, we, get, we keep, uh, and that's the whole thing about the wilderness. The wilderness is when you finally realize, I'm not going to make it on my own. When you're not in the wilderness, you don't feel like you're like, I'm doing all right. I mean, I'm not the best or whatever, you know, but I'm not like dying. And the wilderness is a place where you finally realize where you actually stand. It's not like suddenly you're there. You've been there the whole time. It's just you didn't know. Now you actually know. You know, God knew the whole time too. God's not surprised by things like we are. And so he's, God knows this. God had made a promise and God's coming through in his promise. And we're the ones that are catching on. Okay. And God is, God is patient. You can see that he doesn't just show up and destroy everything. He shows up, and, he also, and you'll see a lot that he's telling people, he's like, don't tell everybody yet, you know? But they can't help it. They're too excited, you know? <laughs> or he's like, he's telling demons, like, you be quiet. You don't tell everybody who I am yet, you know? He's not coming to be like, you guys really need to pay attention to me. Like, I really need you to pay attention to me. He's confident. He's coming in to do what he's going to do, and he's, um, and he's patient. And what does it tell us about people? It tells us that we need a Savior. It tells us that when we are tormented by things, that God is the one who can set us free. And it also tells us that we're to follow Jesus. You know, Jesus' response, like, the kingdom of God, he says it. The kingdom of God, let me go up to it. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. There's that good news again. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That's what it tells us that we're to do. And if this really was the word of God, what changes would I have to make in my life? Like, what would repenting and believing mean for you? I can't answer that for you. And then we see the pattern of baptizing him and following him and being healed by him and having demons driven out of people. And I mean, like, literally demons. You can make it metaphorical. That's fine. I'm fine with metaphorical demons also being driven out in Jesus' name, but also literal demons being driven out in Jesus' name. And the difference between the two may not be as big as we want to pretend like it is in our Western mindset. Jesus, that thing that's tormenting you, he can drive it out. Just repent and believe. This is it. What would that look like? 
And I, I thought as another question as we're guided through this is I'm going to finish up here. So, Kayla, you guys can come on up here. We're familiar with the question, what would Jesus do? You know, what would Jesus do? And this was big back in the 90s. You know, there was the bracelets. They're still out there. And they're fine. It's good. It's a good question. What would you have one? Yeah. What would Jesus do? And the implication, the idea being, what would Jesus do if he was in my shoes or this kind of thing? Or what would Jesus do if he was in the position I am in? And I heard somebody saying a suggested rephrase for the sake. Because sometimes something like that that becomes so familiar, you just lose some of its meaning. Um, or even, so anyway, I heard somebody talking about that. And what they were suggesting was, and I would suggest this for you too, while we go through this book. Because we're just beginning today. Is when you look at your life. Or even when you're reading this gospel. It's not asking the question, what would Jesus do? But asking the question, what would Jesus have me do? You go like, is there any really difference in that? And the answer is kind of not. But here's what, <laughs> here's what the, pick, the piece I want you to get is this. Because when you say, what would Jesus do? You can kind of keep it out here. Right? Like the demons knew who Jesus was. They knew what Jesus would do. You see? They're like, you know, you'll see there's other interactions Jesus has with demons. And so knowing what Jesus would do is something that even demons would know, okay? We don't want to identify with demons here. When you say, like, what would Jesus have me do? It takes the original intent of that statement and puts it on yourself. You can't blame him anymore. You can't keep it out here. Like, I know about it. I know about it. It's like, okay, well, what would he have you do? You know, in this, he's telling evil spirits, leave, and they have to leave. He says to these other guys, hey, Come follow me. And they do. And what would Jesus have you do in your life? And then do it. And this is the journey I think we're going to be going on. When you talk about Anthony Bourdain says, the journey changes you. You see a story. It's introduced today. It's God entering our world. That concept is, is it's, it's very difficult to fathom, especially as Christian people. We don't, we, we, we're so familiar with it, we don't think of how unusual that was. This is God, the creator God, the God that showed up in fire, the God that showed up in power. He's not saying, I'm going to enter into this world, not just as fire and power that melts and burns everything, but I'm going to enter into this world as a human being, just like my creation. And you go... What? You can be so familiar with that because of Christmas and all that that represents that you don't take a moment and think about the severity of that. That's why I like that song, I'll never know how much it costs, see my, you know, see my sin on the cross or whatever that was. You, know, you don't know what it cost God to come to enter our world. And you see this in this story. God's saying, they messed this thing up. They're hurting. They're broken. They're lost. The whole thing's uh, it's just a mess. He could have just gone, and it's gone. He's like, I'm going to fix it, but I'm not just going to fix it by burning it all up. I'm going to come enter into it and be there with it. So the journey you see is God entering our world. You go, God, this is a big place. God's fixing it. He's like, but then God's entering your world. You see, all of a sudden, he's not just, you know, you, you keep it out here in the what would Jesus do world. You know, like, well, like isn't that interesting? Isn't that great? Like, let's keep it over there. You know, like, like God entering the world, that's wonderful. I can stand back and look at God entering the world and changing the world, and that's wonderful. And then all of a sudden, he's like, come follow me. And you go, ah, now he's entering your world. Not just the world, your world. 
And if you follow him, you get on the journey to where you realize that you, you've been in his world the whole time. It was you that didn't know it. So the journey is God, seeing God enter our world, enter the world, and then he's entering your world, and then you realize you've entered his world and you were there the whole time. That's the picture that we need to see here. And that journey changes you. And it does change everything to where you'll find yourself in the exact same situation you were a couple months ago, but suddenly it's a completely different experience. You have joy in places you couldn't have it before, <laughs> like the Walmart parking lot. It is not joyful. But suddenly it's joy-filled because something's different. You've been on the journey with him. You followed him. Let me read the rest of this Malachi verse as a close. Malachi 3, which is what uh, Jesus was you know, these is what they were referring to with John going ahead and preparing the way, right, for Jesus. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. After all this time, all this hopeless time, suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come into his temple. His temple not just out here. It says that you're the temple. He's coming here. He's coming in you. Suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come into his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, whether you know it or not, will come, says the Lord Almighty. God doesn't say things as suggestions. When he says them, they happen. That's it. Verse 2, though, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. With Jesus coming into our world, Jesus coming into your world, so we realize you've been gold. God made you as gold, and when we tarnished it, it's mixed with junk. And God's like, I'm coming to take that junk out of you. Like demons were in people. These people were tormented by demons or like the guy who has leprosy. Jesus is indignant about that. He's not like how, in, in, when you say indignant, he's not like mad at the guy for asking, obviously. He's, he's upset that the guy is suffering. He's like, this isn't how things are supposed to be. So he's coming, suddenly he comes into you and then you find that he's refining things. He's saying, the gold that I put there from the beginning is here, but it's destroyed by all this junk, and I'm going to burn all that stuff out. Come follow me. And that's the journey that changes you. And he's inviting you on it. Not just as we read through the Gospel of Mark, not just as you answer the challenge of Pastor Kevin as I'm going through this thing. But he wants you to come. And it changes everything. So, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to this truth, the truth of who you are, what you're doing as we study your coming in the gospel of Mark. The, your coming to this world, it was 
2,000 years ago and you walked around on this planet Earth as a human being and you said things and you did things that changed the world, that changes our world, and it's changing it back, and you're still changing it back to how you would have it be, and you're inviting us in that process. So, Father, I pray that you, we would answer your call to repent and believe the good news of who you are. And, Lord, refine us as silver and gold that we might stand in the day of your coming. In Jesus' name, amen.